Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. This is episode three and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you doing? Pretty good. It's good to be back uh, recording after uh, a week from vacation. Of course, I know you went away as well, so it's good to get us back on the air and, uh, you know, doing what we love so much and that's talking about football, of course. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's early morning for you at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, like 9.30 at the time of recording a.m., so... Um, I had my coffee. I did a little bit of reading, and uh, you know, getting the uh, week started with recording of another uh, episode of the State of Play Pod is it's 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 a good start so far. It's it's been better than most. Rise and record, rise and record. But there you uh, go. <laughs> we're no longer in the new and noteworthy charts, which which is a massive shame, isn't it, Matt? But I guess when you take a, a couple of weeks sabbatical, you, you got to expect that. But it was amazing ride, amazing to see us with so many big podcasts up there. Oh yeah, of course. You know, uh, you know. I think we talked about it. I think on the previous episode. I mean, you were going back and forth on WhatsApp, like kind of like a live, uh, you know, back and forth going on. We we're like, Matt, what's going on here? Why are we on this? And then there was all, the, all these things happening. I think uh, the first episode got us on i think the uk top 50 chart for itunes and then we started kind of moving down and down and down and it was kind of weird because it was you know a couple episodes in but yeah we're no longer in the new and noteworthy but uh you know we do appreciate the support from you guys that helped us get there and uh, we're looking to get back soon so uh itunes if you're listening yeah uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for us yeah the only thing you could do when you fall off a horse is get back on it right but your your sport has been absolutely mental some of the snippets we put out on twitter have, have gone semi-viral that the one with uh kepa is balaga with uh justin i think got like 300 retweets or something which was which was crazy i think that's uh partly due to some very excited chelsea fans oh yeah for sure that was uh justin was a fantastic guest and um you know as as was billy as well on his insight on the nuggets and everything going on with uh the, the Kroenke family, of course, with the uh, connection with Arsenal. So, yeah, we're definitely going to be doing more of those guys. So for everyone listening, uh, you guys, if you guys enjoyed those and um, there's some guests you guys want us to uh, bring on, send them our way. We'll definitely consider it and we'll try to accommodate the best we can. Mm-hmm. And before we properly get started, Matt is currently mowing his lawn. So if you hear anything in the background, that's that's why. Yeah, it's just everyone keeps mowing their lawns. I got flyovers. You know, I don't know if it's maybe I did something wrong. They're coming after me. I don't know if you guys saw, uh, you know, Goodfellas when uh, Ray Liotta's, you know, getting followed by the police. But uh, that's what it kind of feels like right now. You know, I got all this background noise and I'm trying to record a podcast, talk about football. So if I'm not around for episode four, you'll probably know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've got to get started. And the first story we're going to talk about is all about Manchester United. So if you're a United fan, you're going to maybe enjoy this one but maybe not it's all about the glazers their their owners uh they, they also have a, a franchise in the u.s the tampa bay buccaneers but following a lack of on-field success many bucks fans the fans of the tampa bay buccaneers feel the glazers attention has long turned to their other major investment more than 4,300 miles away in manchester this is something that may surprise united fans considering uh, Mourinho wasn't actually backed too heavily in this transfer window and there's no longer uh, nearly 150,000 eager fans on the bucks season ticket waiting list like there was in in 2007 almost or over 10 years ago uh, and since Gruden the the coach's departure that the club has been has had four managers in the last 10 years with no tangible long-term strategy and uh, th- this article which is from Manchester Evening News ends with is it ringing alarm bells yet United fans and I think we're seeing something kind of similar 
over in Manchester, right? There isn't really a long-term plan, neither with the signings or really with a board structure. I know they're looking to bring in a, a director of football soon, but if, if we look at the signings in, in recent times in the last three transfer windows, we've got Mkhitaryan, 27 years old when he came over. Zlatan was obviously in his mid-30s. Uh, Matic, 29 when he arrived for £40 million. So they've kind of gone with Mourinho in, in this short-term thinking, really, but it's very un-United, isn't it? I, I agree with you in that. I think, you know, it really is kind of difficult to really see what type of plan or strategy they have. Um, that's long-term. I think, obviously, we could see it with some of their other clubs in the, uh, in, you know, their direct rivals, of course, with City being right now kind of just setting the tone. And although they drew this past weekend at the time of recording, of course, um, you know, their champions they had a great year last year. They got a great manager in Pep Guardiola. They continue to stockpile good talent. And even getting some guys through their academy to come up and play in the first team that Phil fought in specifically. So you wonder what's man, what are, what's going on with their rivals in Manchester United. Now, they, they seem to be kind of every summer, every window, making some sort of splash. As you just mentioned, they got me... Uh, you got uh, Alexi Sanchez, you know, they did add Fred this past offseason, I mean, this past summer, excuse me. So they are showing some willingness to spend, but it's weird because they're not really going full-fledged spending like City are in that they're trusting their manager to, enough to where they're going to spend a big amounts of money to get him, you know, uh, best position for not only just the league title, but, you know, the Champions League, of course. So it's kind of weird to see, and you know, at least from someone on the outside. Again, most people associate with me with uh, Syria, Calcio specifically. So, but I, of course, I do dabble with the Premier League. I got access in the states, so I do watch my fair share each weekend. And that's kind of something that I see is that it looks as though every two to three years, or really every year, they're just constant drama with Manchester United. And of course, no, no more uh, obvious than what's going on with Jose Mourinho. Uh, it seems as every week, every weekend, there's just something going on. There's something in the media. There's the the style of play is really not so defined. And I think, again, that's where United fans are really trying to grasp the situation and really trying to understand what's the long-term plan here? Who's going to be our coach? I've even heard uh, some links on Twitter. I don't know how, uh, not if they're hard, in concrete links or uh, whatever, but some people talking about like a Zinedine Zidane appointment, which would be pretty major when you consider obviously the player and you know, the success he had at Real Madrid, but also that there is some possible interest um, in him wanting to go back to uh, Juventus to reunite with the Agnelli family. That's something that's been kind of going on at work. So again, constant drama with United at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's strange. The Mourinho situation doesn't seem to be getting any better. Every time he's asked about players his squad he just says he doesn't want to talk about it and whether or not behind the scenes he's giving these players confidence I'm not sure it, it doesn't feel like he is uh, it's just such an odd situation it, it seems like the media is fixated with him but the more he doesn't speak and you know that the famous uh, I don't want to speak but uh, <laughs> they, they they ask him more questions and I, I guess that the another comparison with the uh, Bucks franchise they're worth nearly two billion dollars now and they've continue to appreciate from a capital standpoint year on year even if they don't win trophies or they're not majorly successful and they, we've seen that with Manchester United with their stock prices reaching an all-time high a, a couple of weeks back but they haven't had the same success as they've had under Sir Alex Ferguson do they risk Matt 
if they don't win in the long term or in the medium term, do they risk their brand being overtaken by Manchester City? And we mentioned Manchester City earlier, and you did yourself. Some of their signings in the last two or three transfer windows, uh, Laporte, Mares, Bernardo Silva, uh, Benjamin Mendy, all these guys are not young and up and coming, but they're low to mid-20s, aren't they? They're they're the guys that are going to improve, but also they're here for the now. Yeah, absolutely. Again, and you know, you can look at, you know, it's funny because, you know, for those who haven't, who are listening and haven't watched uh, the Amazon docuseries All or Nothing Manchester City, you kind of get an idea of what type of unit that Pep Guardiola has built, you know, the camaraderie, the chemistry, the unity, you could see it even in documentary. Of course, you don't even need to really go even to tune into that to kind of get an idea because obviously the results on the on the pitch say everything and you can really see week in, week out what type of unit they are and really what type of, uh, you know, dynasty, if you will, they're trying to build in Manchester. Uh, I think if you're a United fan, there's there's definitely going to be concern because you're a big club without question. There's that there's no denying that regardless of if they haven't won the league title in a handful of years. Post uh, Ferguson, that's really it's it's you knew it was going to be difficult. Every United fan, if they were telling themselves that we're going to find our long term replacement, we're going to find it, it easy after a guy like Ferguson leaves, you were kind of, uh, you're, 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 you're fooling yourself. And I think it was obvious with, you know, that happens. It's again, football is very cyclical. We see it, you know, time and time again in certain leagues where Barcelona had Pep Guardiola. They ran the league. They ran La Liga. They won everything possible. He leaves. And now all of a sudden you're kind of going year, two years, every year, every two years, going from manager to manager. And that's kind of what we felt that has happened with United. Of course, Mourinho has been one of the longest term manager uh, since Ferguson left, but they run through managers what seems like every other year. And I think that's where United fans are getting that alarming sensation that what's going to happen? Are we going to be constantly dealing with these type of issues year in and year out? I guess it really it really depends on what's going on and who they appoint next. I mean, if you ask me, as you know, uh, I, I'm a Milan fan. For those who are who are uh, who are listening, if you ask me, if and how I observe the situation, I think Mourinho. I don't. There's a good chance that Mourinho doesn't last the full season. I'd be shocked if he actually did. Now, I think it's really risky considering the fact that you know who would you bring in again? You still, if you're going to fire a manager during the season, you got to hope that that replacement can steady the ship and at least at minimum, get them top four. But I don't know. I just see, the, again, we're already, what, two or three weeks into the Premier League season, and these doubt, all these doubts haven't been quelled, and I think that he's really not helping the cause by not speaking. I think, obviously, we all know what type of character he is, but I think at some point, if the media is kind of coming after you, coming after you, coming after you, and then coming after what you're just what decisions you're making with regards to the players, specifically, of course, Anthony Martial, we all, we all saw that, um, how that kind of went down, and I think we talked about that in the first episode. It's those lingering effects, and you wonder when this whole thing's going to self-destruct and when eventually um, you know, the Glazers are just going to pull the plug on Mourinho and say, look, it's, it's just not working. Again, this is year three Mourinho. Um, it's kind of that magical year uh, where things kind of you know, get kind of you know, chaotic and really crazy. So I guess a really time will tell to see what happens with United. But from a Milan fan's perspective, I just think it's kind of crazy as well. I mean, it's, again, Milan have somewhat went through the similar phase is that after Carlo Ancelotti left in, in, in 2009, uh, 2009 around 2010, they've been going through managers what seems like every year. And I think it's, again, it's showing you how valued a manager is. Aside from a, a, a owner a ownership that's willing to spend and give the players you need, 
having that you know that that reliability and that stability at the at the post with the manager is paramount in today's game and i think it really moves waves and, and really just is ultimately moves the needle when you're talking about competing for uh for silverware i, I totally agree i i most certainly agree with you that he probably won't last the the full season he's almost begging to be sacked in these interviews it's really strange uh he's even even behind the scenes when he's being interviewed by manchester united's in-house media he he's just as negative which is crazy you think he's only negative towards the british media in general but it's also to his own club's media which was i found absolutely ridiculous but in terms of replacements, I'm I'm not sure who they'd be able to bring in mid-season who is really up the ante. But if you do look at it, after, after Ferguson left, they brought in David Moyes, obviously. He did not play an attractive line of football. And then Louis van Gaal came in, won slightly, but played equally boring football. I think they had a lot of 1-0 wins, lots of shutouts. You had like Daly Blind playing left-back with Phil Jones and Chris Smalling. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting of teams. And now you have Mourinho playing the exact same brand of football, winning maybe slightly more. So now do Manchester United need to go forward, bring in a manager who's going to play good football, like maybe a Maurizio Sarri, who doesn't have that winning history. Perhaps a Maurizio Pochettino as well. Uh, obviously, Zinedine Zidane is the outlier there because he's won a lot. But also, he didn't play the most attractive style of football with Real Madrid. It certainly got found out in La Liga. So there's a lot of to weigh up for the Glazer family. And I think their priority is first getting in a director of football and maybe they can help adjust and manoeuvre this transition if Mourinho does leave. I, I 100% agree with you. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because obviously Pep Guardiola coming to the Premier League a couple of years ago, um, that was really more of like a revolutionary mind coming to the league and bringing a different style, playing his style, winning an attractive brand um, that, he, of course, he carried from uh, you know Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and then, of course, to Manchester. And now we're seeing the addition of uh, Maurizio Tsari at Chelsea, which is kind of somewhat not com- comparable in terms of silverware, because obviously Pep Guardiola has won way more uh, than Maurizio Tsari has. But in terms of the, the style, the aesthetics of the actual style of football, um, that seems where the kind of the trend is going, that a lot of these... Premier League clubs are looking for someone in that manager role who can play um, an attractive brand, a brand that's going to produce uh, goals. It's going to be um, both effective in terms of on the pitch uh, performance, but also effective in getting results. And so again, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the in that situation where they are looking to replace Mourinho, well, who are they going to go with? Are they going to go with a manager that's a stopgap guy that's saying, hey, look, I'll finish out the season. And then in the summer, we really tackle going for like that long-term solution, that brilliant mind. Uh, I, I, again, it's kind of difficult to see at this point because, you know, you can say, well, maybe Antonio Conte is an option. Uh, I've heard something like that. I don't think it's really concrete, to be honest with you. I don't think Conte would come in mid-season. I think he wants a clean slate, a full summer to kind of, you know, assess his squad. Um, but again, it's going to be really interesting. I think if Mourinho, um, excuse me, if Manchester United are trying to find a long-term answer at the bench, I think it's got to be something, uh, got to be a manager who can bring um, somewhat of a similar uh, mindset, philosophy, if you will, to like a Guardiola or some of these other managers who, you know, aren't just going to play unattractive football. And then, of course, obviously not have the results to go along with But There's got to be something different with the dynamic at Manchester United at this point if they're 
going to progress and ultimately kind of you know be on the on the on the tail of Manchester City, who seem to be setting the stand, the setting the tone right now. So it's going to be something to kind of go week by week. But um, yeah, that's something, of course, that we'll probably be covering uh, more times than more times than one throughout the next you know group of episodes because it feels like it's a forever evolving situation and conversation to have. Yeah, this Glazer, Mourinho, Pogba, Martial saga, it, it threatens to, to go on for some time, doesn't it? I, I also think it's it's more prevalent now for United fans because you've got Arsenal who have just had a major transition in the last 18 months with Wenger leaving, Emery coming in, already changing the style of play Arsenal playing. I, I, I don't know if you watched Chelsea against Arsenal. Unfortunately, we lost, but the the first goal we scored was an 18-pass move from the keeper up to the up to the goal scorer, Mkhitaryan. So I think Manchester United fans are sitting there. They're looking at Manchester City with Pep Guardiola still improving. They're looking at what Maurizio Sarri has done to Chelsea in three games. People tend to forget that he came in really late in the summer. He came in really late in the summer. I don't know how much time he had to work with those players, but what he's done there is astounding. I mean, obviously, he's got very good players to do it with, but the style of play is... You can see it already. And obviously Tottenham with Mauricio Pochettino, that's a three, four year project, which has evolved, evolved more. Even, you know, Everton, uh, they they keep spending money and, and obviously they spent very heavily last summer and this summer. Last summer, they didn't do it as well. This summer, they've perhaps spent a bit more wisely. We mentioned Richarlison in the last podcast. These teams are evolving and Manchester United may be standing still at the moment. We even didn't mention Liverpool. I mean, they've spent... 100 200 million pounds on a keeper center back and two center midfielders in the last two transfer windows that's big money but these are players that Manchester United could have gone and got I mean you talk about Alisson Van Dijk Naby Keita Fabinho who was Fabinho especially who was heavily linked with Manchester United it's strange that Manchester United haven't made a play for some of these players it's going to be interesting to see what happens I've got a last question for you Matt what are the chances of Max Allegri making a move to Manchester United. That's that's an interesting one because I think a lot of Juventus fans hold him in high regard. Juventus, the, you know, the ownership, hold him in high regard. Obviously, Ronaldo has spoken highly of him ever since he arrived there. And he, you know, in that, you know, they go, they, we have a top manager, we have a top club here. He's, he's sung his praises often. And I think, again, Allegri even coming out, I don't know if you, you know, remember, uh, if you recall, rather, Allegri came out, or I think or there was like a confirmed report that said that Real Madrid actually went to Max Allegri to, to, to hire him before they got Lopetegui. So that was again around the time of, you know, the World Cup or maybe during the World Cup. But, you know, again, Allegri's, he's, there's a lot of him, he's, he's very in demand. And I think, again, there's going to be, um, you know, with the with the way that we saw with the time managers in the Premier League, of course, Di Matteo, uh, Conte, if one at Chelsea. Now you got Maurizio Tsari there. It wouldn't surprise me within the next two years that Allegri tests that same uh, route, that same journey, and goes into the Premier League. And I mean, we've heard, and you know, it's funny, we heard all these different things the past couple of years. Um, you know, Max Allegri, you know, can he go to Arsenal? Can he go this play this club? This, of course, before Arsenal got uh, Unai Emery. Again, he's in demand. It's it's a lot of you know outsiders off Italian soil are really starting to see what type of manager and the quality manager that uh, Max Allegri is. So again, if if do I think he would go to a team like Manchester United? I think it's possible. I think he's not going to go to a club in England that he's not going to have um, you know a, a good amount of uh, control in terms of you know the guys they recruit and the guys they bring in. But also, if you're going to bring in a guy like Allegri from a team like Juve who have dominated Italy, 
it's going to take quite a bit and it's going to take a lot of convincing. Of course, Manchester United, again, as a brand, as I just talked at the top of the podcast, still very much regarded, still one of the best brands in football today, despite some of the issues they're going with right now. So again, Lilligri could be a possibility. Um, you need to start looking at some of the other possible vacancies over the next couple of years. If, if Pep Guardiola stays at City and Saudi's the long-term at Chelsea, and then of course, you know, Unai Emery stays at, stays somewhat long-term at Arsenal, and then you have Klopp, you have all these managers, it kind of only makes sense that if the only way he's going to get to the Premier League in the next couple of years could be Manchester United. But again, stranger things have happened, you know, it, you know maybe Allegri stays long-term and, and he decides, you know, maybe he's not now, it's not the time. So it's going to be something to kind of monitor year to year. Um, I've heard, you know, some reports um, out of Italy, again, I don't know how concrete they are, is that, you know, again, Zidane would like to return to Juve and whether that's going to be maybe in a management role um, or, you know, something in like the front office position where he can kind of maybe be part of the decision-making, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, who knows? Maybe, again, they go with Zidane next year if they don't win the Champions League with Ronaldo this year. Again, there's a lot of things going on with Juventus, um, you know, in terms of their ambitions. But, of course, yeah, I also have to look over uh, possible opportunities for Allegri to pursue. So Manchester United, I would say, is definitely a possibility. But I don't think it's going to be something that's, uh, you know, next summer. I would say, if, if anything, it would be the year after. But, again, things change quickly. If they don't win the Champions League, um, I expect Allegri to be mentioned in rumors. Mm, football certainly comes at you fast, doesn't it? You never know where managers are going to end up. But got to move to our next story, Matt. And this is another European crossover with the Americas. La Liga agreed a 15-year deal with US media company called Relevant on a couple Fridays ago. And uh, it was met with some uproar, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been following it somewhat pretty closely. Again, I follow a lot of people on Twitter who are, um, you know, based in Spain and, and who really cover uh, La Liga, you know, daily. And from what I've read with quotes about some certain players, it seems the vast majority of players um, and even, I guess, managers and, and high execs involved with some of these La Liga teams is that they're really not um, all on board with this, obviously, this this possible, uh, you know, going to the U.S. for games and things like that. It's one thing to do it in a summer tour for, for branding, for marketing, for, you know, promotion of players in the league. I understand that. But obviously, we know with midseason and, and kind of having to travel to the U.S. Um, for games – it seems like a really difficult, um, you know, thing to convince players on because these players have families. Obviously, yes, they do get paid a lot, so they got to act also kind of, you know, up, up, uh, you know, adhere to their part of the job. But you're looking at there's a lot of backlash and there's a lot of, um, you know, footballers in Spain that are really kind of, you know, being very vocal about it. You know, most of the time we see with these with these certain situations is that they say, you know, the players will be asked about it in your know, post-match coverage and they say, you know, that's not for me to decide. That's for the owners to... De- but some of the players have really been vocal. I think Gerard Piquet come in, came out and said something that, like, you know, they really just don't feel that this is the way forward. And then Lopetegui even said something about that he can't see it happening, that he's with the players and he supports their decision on this, which seems to be one that's kind of circled around, uh, you know, not going to the U.S. It's weird. Now you have a kind of a situation where it's very divisive. You have the, the La Liga, you know, execs and the owners and everyone who runs all that. They're kind of all for it because obviously they probably realize the, the, 
you know, financial benefits and all that stuff and the branding and growing the league. But then you also have the players who are ultimately who the fans are going to see in the U.S. And they're kind of saying, well, we really don't want this. So, you know, I've heard, you know, some reports and some things where there's a possibility that their players go on strike. That would be probably the worst worst case scenario for for anybody involved because obviously we want to see football and people who are passionate about La Liga definitely want to see the teams on a regular basis. So if you have players and high profile players going on strike, I think that's gonna you know uh, send a message to probably the La Liga and saying, well maybe we should reconsider this again. Uh, I think it's something that's kind of continuing to evolve. I think as we you know kind of go out through the next you know couple months, I'm assuming we'll have a you know an idea of one way or the other where it's going to go. But yeah, this is kind of a, an odd one because when I looked at it, it on paper, it seems to make sense, right? You kind of go outside the country, maybe you play a couple games, you brand a league, you know, uh, you know, some of these, you know, American, American uh, fans get to see their clubs and all that stuff. But then you also have to look at it from the, the, the footballer's perspective and saying, is it really feasible? Is it really something that can, is going to move the needle enough to the point where it's worth upsetting players and, and all that stuff. So, and it, obviously having an effect on the scheduling, which is obviously, again, you're going to an entirely different country, time difference and all that stuff. And then you have to come back for another game in a week's time. So uh, again, it remains to be seen what goes on with this, but on the surface, I think it's something that's going to be very complex and something that's going to take weeks to iron out. Certainly very controversial. And this was following the, the Spanish Super Cup between uh, Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. It, it was actually uncertain where that was going to be played for a while. So th- there are a lot of problems currently with, uh, obviously, La Liga. But I think the Spanish FA and the Spanish Footballers Union have, have criticised the plan with, as you mentioned, players <laughs> said to be outraged. And uh, footballers in Spain have not ruled out a strike, apparently, uh, over a plan to stage a top-flight league match in the United State states which is quite strange isn't it because home and away home advantage is so big in football psychologically it's it's statistically proven for you to have that i can't imagine a situation where imagine if i don't know remember the barcelona atletico madrid game a, a couple seasons ago when whoever won basically won the title if that was played in america Barcelona fans would be in uproar, wouldn't they? Because they should have had that advantage and they've already played one game away at Atletico Madrid. So it's really strange. And uh, as you mentioned, managers have backed this as well. Uh, Lopetegui has come out and said, I can't see it happening. That's just my opinion. I'm with the players on this one. So lots of people, important people in Spain that are involved in football, including the players, are against this one. I think there was a meeting held where the likes of Gerard Piquet and, and Sergio Roberto, two of the four captains of Barcelona, um, Nacho and, and Sergio Ramos. Obviously, Sergio Ramos is going to be involved in this one, isn't he? Uh, Juan Fran and Coque from Atleti all went uh, with various other players to, d- to discuss this because I don't even think the players or clubs were briefed about this, which is absolutely balmy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. But also, it also is interesting too. Again, it's you know it's worth pointing out or at least trying somewhat to consider this in the, in, the, in this discussion uh, because we then we do reference um, you know we did met, obviously mention the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and in previous podcasts um, you know other you know football teams and the Rams specifically we see what happens in the NFL when the NFL has playing games in London. I think they played, um, I forgot what actual stadiums they played at, but me being a Vikings fan, I've seen my team play, you know, you know in the UK, it's one game or, you know, one game every couple of years. And it does have some success, but you also have to get, consider again, is that 
there's way less games. There's 16 games in NFL season versus 38, you know, 37, give or take in a La Liga season. So maybe that's where, you know, you know, relevant sports and La Liga are kind of thinking of say, maybe there's an opportunity for us to uh, grow the brand and grow the sport in America. And by doing this, um, you know, this 15 year deal, maybe long term, this is what we need. But I think, again, it's it's the landscape is much different between NFL and and La Liga. So, again, that, that's just something I wanted to point out, because if if, a, if the players in, in the NFL are are you know, they're okay with doing an occasional game in, 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 in England, then maybe that's where La Liga is uh, in the Spanish FA and, you know, even uh, relevant sports when they're kind of, you know, coming to this agreement are thinking, well, let's compare it to this. Let's see if maybe there's something that we can capitalize on. I think, again, it's really complex. Look, you have high profile players. If the profile, if the high profile players were not coming out and being vocal, then I think it would be, one thing, but the fact that high-profile players are coming out and being very expressive and, and and emotional about this means that you know that has that holds a bunch of weight. And again, I think ultimately, I wouldn't be shocked if one it did end in a, in a couple weeks strike, or you have this whole thing being blown up and not actually happening. Because I think again, I think the players speak loudly on this, and the players hold a lot of you know a weight in this situation. They certainly do. Player power has increased so so much in the last 20 years, let alone the last 50 to 100. But I mean, this nearly happened in the UK. Well, I say nearly, but um, the Premier League had previously discussed having a 39th game outside of England and Wales, which, which was greeted with the same amount of controversy as this La Liga US story has been as well. From, a, from an American's point of view, would you rather the MLS grow their brand and, and football in America rather than growing the the amount of fans that are in America of foreign sports or foreign leagues, sorry. I, I, th- I feel, again, I, I would love to see MLS just continue to kind of, you know, focus on growing themselves because I think they've done a great job the past handful of years in doing that. But I think obviously there's still much work to be done. Um, and there's a lot of other things that's going on with um, United States soccer and the Federation that, you know, we could probably even touch on in a, in a future episode with a guest we have lined up for that, which I think uh, you guys will definitely enjoy. But I, for me, would love to see MLS continue to be the focus in terms of growing uh, in expansion in this country versus again bringing in you know having La Liga be kind of taking center stage and maybe taking some of that spotlight off Major League Soccer because you know we despite the fact what many people think about Major League Soccer yes it's not on the same quality level as a Premier League or you know some of the major leagues in Europe but there are some quality players players that are getting you know uh, tr- attraction or you know g- gaining interest um, in Europe. So I think it only it's only right that we continue to serve you know the the, the fans in this country um, it, more so than catering to what La Liga wants to do. Again, I'm all for the summer tournaments. I'm all for those you know um, you know I think the International Champions Cup. Although I think the pricing for some of these games is outrageous and I think it's unfair for the casual fan in this country who you know they see Barcelona's coming to Miami. And that's their favorite team, and they got to spend you know eighty dollars on a ticket, you know, for a, 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 a you know uh, you know parents to spend you know close to three hundred dollars to see a B team. I think it's a little bit unfair. So I think that maybe that's where La Liga is trying to say, okay, well, you know what? If we do this agreement, 
maybe we can get the actual full teams coming to the States and playing their full roster. And these fans will in turn pay the money because they're going to be able to see the Messi's. They're going to be able to see Suarez, you know, Benzema, Ramos and the like. So again, I think it's, there's a lot of things to kind of consider in this whole entire agreement and this entire La Liga, you know, coming to the U S you know, situation. But I just wanted to point that out that I think, again, if, if, you know, the U S is looking to, you know, bring La Liga in as a way to kind of up the the attention and the, the the craze for soccer in this country because I think it's very high now I think if they're trying to bring that in as a way to rival or battle with uh you know kind of not, not market share because I think that's the wrong way to put it because they're only coming here for a couple games but I think the focus should be major league soccer in this country and not so much hey we're bringing a La Liga in to kind of up the attention and, and, and the, uh, you know, the craze for the sport in this country. I think there's maybe there's a happy balance where they can maybe find, you know, a, a game or two um, at the end of the season or you know, maybe like a friendly um, with some of the, the La Liga teams where, um, you know, there's agreement that maybe they have to suit up certain amounts of players to, to do it. I don't know what the case is. I think it's, again, something that's going to kind of go week to week that we really have to see what the whole you know, situation and, and is what the details are. But if again, but, but getting back to your, your main question is if I'd rather see major league soccer be the focus. Yes, absolutely. I think that's really the best way for, um, you know, major league soccer to continue to grow is to continue to be, um, you know, have all its resources and have everything this country has in terms of, uh, you know, uh, soccer to go into its own uh, home league. I think that's what I'd want if I was an American citizen and I was a fan of Major League Soccer. I'd want the media companies in the US focusing on Major League Soccer. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, money talks and, you know, La Liga has the biggest players or some of the biggest players now that Ronaldo's gone to to Juventus. But we'll definitely keep an eye on this one and and see where it goes. Uh, I think it's time for a player profile, Matt. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. And today we are profiling the one and only Giovanni Simeone. I know that you're a massive fan of this guy and he's, uh, of course, Diego Simeone's son. Yeah, uh, Giovanni Simeone, a young striker, plays for Fiorentina and Serie A. Uh, Last year he had a pretty under-the-radar year, although it was very good. I think he had something like 12 to 13 goals. Uh, for a team like Fiorentina, who went through a you know difficult you know season, again of course losing their captain Davide Astori, um, suddenly out of nowhere, which kind of came as a shock to uh, everyone, not just those in Italy but um, all of uh, world football, um, you know, and and that seemed to take unfortunately take over most of the attention from uh, for Fiorentina, but they do have plenty of quality in that team. Uh, you know, Federico Chiesa has obviously you know been one of the the main highlights over the past couple of years. Obviously, he's gotten Premier League interest. I think Chelsea wanted him, Manchester City, a couple other teams seem to have interest. But um, yeah, Simeone had a great year last year. And, you know, prior to this season starting, of course, Fiorentina made some great additions, some under-the-radar moves that I really, really value. Uh, of course, they got Kevin Morales, who's obviously played at Everton. He's uh, kind of a streaky player, someone who uh, on his day can be effective. Of course, I think Everton fans would agree with me there. But they were also able to add Marco Piazza from Juventus on loan. Of course, injuries plagued his career, um, but he's on loan at, at uh, Fiorentina now. And you know, with Chiesa involved, and now you have, of course, Simeone as your young striker, there's a lot of talent around Simeone for him to kind of maybe make that next step as a guy who's maybe a 20 goal scorer, someone I think is uh, definitely 
capable of reaching that tally this year. I think, again, 12 to 13 last year. More talent around him, a full season, um, another full season under his belt in Italy. As he adapts, I think, again, it's really not, wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, be that next big striker in Italy and maybe be a, uh, a top target come this, this following summer when, you know, obviously the striker market's always growing. There's always going to be teams looking for strikers. I don't know how many times we see a club, you know, obviously Chelsea is being one of them. Uh, you know, maybe they're a fit. But again, if we're just going back to Simeone, his profile, very strong striker, a guy who's really not frail. He's not, you know, afraid to go into challenges. He's not by any means just a poacher, a guy who's just going to sit in the, in the penalty area and clean up the chances. He's a guy that's good, you know, playing it back back to goal. He's good with his feet. He can link play. A guy who has some speed. He's not, you know, uh, blessed with speed in terms of, you know, that 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 Obama Yang type mold. But a guy that can definitely run. A guy who who can run through the channels, make the you know, everything that you look for the runs um, that that are required to you know, get on the end of certain balls. So you know, Simeone, of course, again, you know, there's. He's still growing, and I think that's the beauty about a guy that, you know, he scored 12 to 13 goals last year, and he's still growing. There's still another level or maybe two levels for him to reach. Again, having the rest of this talent around him for Fiorentina, who are off to a good start. Of course, uh, Simeone got his first goal on the weekend, and it's his father and then a mother there in attendance, and they kind of had a uh, a nice touching uh, father-son moment as they pointed to the, uh, the press box, uh, you know, after they after Fiorentina beat Kiev, I think it was 6-1 or 5-1, if I got, forgot the actual uh, – final result but yeah Simeone is definitely a player to watch for those who are um, you know looking you know to see who the next big striker in this uh, in this league is again there's there's a possibility that because he loves uh, you know Florence so much he stays maybe another year or two but I think again if he's a guy that's hitting not 15 to 20 goals um, he's going to be definitely a wanted man next summer and a guy that Fiorentina are going to have a difficult time retaining because Let's be honest, they sold, I think, Federico Bernardeschi to Juve, a rival, for I think around 40 to 45. If Premier League clubs are interested or Spanish clubs are interested, hey, maybe Atletico Madrid's interested in them if they lose Antoine Griezmann. You know, that would be kind of pretty crazy, too, to come full circle as uh, Simeone playing under his father in Atletico Madrid. But again, Giovanni Simeone is a uh, player I hold in high regard, someone I think is going to take the next step this season. So, um, for those who are involved in football index, I know uh, Petra, that's uh, you know that's your uh, your your expertise as well. Definitely look for some value in him this year to get maybe fifteen to twenty goals, and look for Fiorentina to be one of those surprise teams because I think they do have quite a bit of young talent um, you know around them for Pioli to work with. Yeah, certainly Fiorentina have been uh, raising a few eyebrows in the, in the football index world. But he, he's, he opened his account, as you mentioned yesterday, beat Kiev Verona 6-1. He's gotten a goal and an assist uh, in, a, in a very resounding win. But Fiorentina, they also added Gerson, I think, uh, from, from Roma. Uh, they've got Milenkovic, who, who scored the op- opener, who was, who was very good for Serbia in the World Cup. So certainly a few players to keep an eye on from there. But who would you compare Simeone to as, as a player? I don't know. I think it's uh, we, uh, the, the comparisons. I'm not really great with comparisons because I think it's really <laughs> subjective and there's a lot of things that you can pick apart with a player that as to why he's like one, but he why he's not. Uh, I, I just think that he's definitely not a, he's not a poacher. He's not a Mauro Riccardi type where he's just going to sit in the penalty area. Uh, I'm not saying Mauro Riccardi is just limited to that area because I think he's um, an underrated guy outside of the box. But I think Simeone is a guy, again, who 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 can run at players he can you know make his way past uh, defenders and, and finish that's finishing his uh, his finishing level at, at, at such a young age is, is very impressive and it's probably one of his best qualities and one of the reasons why I think he's a 15 20 goal scorer 
if I had to compare him to someone, this is going to get a lot of, you know, uh, you know, maybe uh, criticism or create a lot of uh, debate or controversy, but maybe a guy like a slightly like a Luis Suarez, a younger Luis Suarez. I mean, it's really tough to say, but I think, again, we all see how great uh, Luis Suarez was at Liverpool, just a you know, clinical finisher, a guy, of course, who can score the great goals from deep. Obviously, he did it many times at Liverpool and, of course, at Barcelona. But I think a guy that's really, you know, maybe not fleet of foot, not really necessarily fast, but a guy that with his footwork, with his, you know, desire can make his way past defenders and finish with with ease and regularity. So if I had to compare him to someone, maybe it's Luis Suarez. Again, I think it's really tough for me to say at this point. Um, Giovanni Simeone, of course, I forgot to mention, he actually did get his call up to the um, to the national team as well for for Argentina. So that's just something else to keep an eye on as well. And, you know, he's starting to get that, that traction and that attention for the national team. And of course, if he's able to partner that, uh, those appearances for the national team with a great breakout season for Fiorentina. Next summer is going to be a big summer for him, and in terms of uh, you know where his next career move lies. Yeah, he certainly got the same maybe stature as, as Suarez, but he's also very good in the air, isn't he, Matt? Yeah. Talk to us about his aerial ability. Yeah, he's definitely a strong, a strong player in the air. Again, I think he's one of those one of those talents that if you really look at him in terms of um, the current mold of striker and what what teams look for in this position. He's a guy that really checks off most of the boxes. I think I, from what I've seen, again, I, I watch, you know, uh, Serie A religiously every weekend. You know, <laughs> for, for Simeone, he's a guy that, you know, with having those added assets around him with, again, with Chiesa, with Piazza, um, I think that's only going to help him improve his tally and really show some of the other qualities that maybe some people aren't familiar with him having. And you just mentioned, obviously, his aerial ability. He's a guy that can score. You know, he's a, he'll, he'll take the penalties. He'll score with obviously with confidence, um, and he's able again, of course, make his way around the penalty area and, and score with with ease. But I think his aerial ability is something that's going to take a big step forward this year, especially with those balls coming in from the flanks and having that consistent service to really uh, get on the end of certain balls in the air. So. Uh, Simeone, again, a guy that, in my opinion, is really starting to check off most of the boxes you look for in a modern number nine. Um, the sky's the limit for him. I, I think, again, he's got, you know, uh, that, that tenacity. He's got that energy, that 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 spirit like his father. And I think, again, him playing in Italy is is, is only going to help him. I think, I think there's a lot of players who are starting to recognize the opportunity that Serie A presents for them specifically a lot of Polish players, but for a young guy like Giovanni Simeone, um, of course, his father played uh, at Inter, you're starting to see some of those qualities and some of those similarities between the two come out. And of course, obviously, we know uh, Diego had a great career as well in Italy. And the fact that, you know, his son's kind of, you know, getting off to a good start now, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before he makes a big move within the next year or so. And really kind of starts to show what type of player he is. Because I think, again, he's got the potential to be a 15 to 20 goal scorer with this talent around him. You compared him to Luis Suarez. Is that the kind of ceiling you predict? I think that's, it's so tough because Suarez, is, I mean, he some of the seasons he had, obviously, at Liverpool and Barcelona. And, you know, the effect he's having on the Uruguayan national team. It's so difficult to, to compare but I think, again, if he gets the opportunity, the way he's going right now, there's no reason why this guy can't be a star striker and one of the best strikers in the world. I really do think he's that good. I think it's really difficult to say because, you know, people are still kind of feeling their way around Serie A. Serie A is still that league that's 
some people are starting to give it the credit it deserves, but there's still a lot of people that are sleeping on it and really not giving the attention to some of the players like Simeone, who have great quality. Again, of course, this past summer with Jorginho and Torreira going to the Premier League and playing well so far, maybe those are the types of moves that kind of get some more eyes on players like Simeone on a regular basis in Florence, despite him not playing for a title contender, because obviously, you know, there's going to be teams look, I mean, excuse me, play uh, fans looking towards Juve, Napoli, um, as, you know, because they're, they're the top guys for the Scudetto. But I think, again, there's a lot of talent up and down this league. And I think if you're looking for a club this year to keep an eye on, if, if you're maybe – I think Fiorentina could kind of be one of those hipster clubs. If you're looking, if you're one of those fans that really looks for like the, you know, the young player or the player that's not getting enough attention, but you're trying to find the kind of the diamond in the rough, I think Fiorentina and even Sassuolo are the two teams that you got to definitely keep an eye on because they have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent. You mentioned Milinkovic as well, a young central defender – there's a lot of talent to you know to monitor and to possibly you know weigh up and size up big moves to maybe the Premier League in a year or so. So um, Simeone, one to keep an eye on, a guy that I hold in in high regard and someone I think you know again has a, a great career ahead of him for sure. Brilliant, Matt. Thanks so much for for giving us the lowdown. But it, it seems like. Fiorentina might be making a, a regular appearance in terms of the pr- player profiles we're going to be doing for the rest of this uh, state of play podcast. Yeah, oh yeah, they got they got plenty, and I think um you know there's a, there's a, a plenty of great sites too. I just want to qu- give a quick shout out to uh, Scouted Football. Um, they do predominantly under twenty under twenty three players. They kind of span the entire globe for these gems. And I think, again, they had, I think, like five or six under 23 players in their starting 11 yesterday. So, they're, they're, again, they're, 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 if, they're, if they're listening, uh, shout out to you guys for all the work you guys are doing. But, again, they, you know, there's a lot of talent. Yes, Simeone, I think he's 23. But if you're looking at even players below 23 who have upside and, uh, you know, some, some potential – Fiorentina are one of the clubs for sure that you uh, definitely want to focus on this year specifically because I think there's a lot of players who, with big breakout seasons, could wind up making big moves in the summer. Mm, mm, Very, very, very interesting team this season in Serie A and and one to keep an eye on. But Matt, I think that's all we've got time for, man. Yeah, I think it's been a great episode, of course. uh, You know, with with the transfer window behind us, I think we can kind of focus on the big stories in football. And if you guys have any uh, recommendations for guests, but also players for us to cover. I know we've been tweeting out some feeler tweets for you guys to kind of gauge some interest on in who you guys want to hear us talk about. We're always welcome to them. You guys can DM, you guys can email. Uh, Petra, where can they uh, where can they find us? Well, you can find us at State of Play Pod, so that's State of Play and then Pod, P-O-D. And if you want to email us, if you're a bit more old-fashioned, stateofplaypod at gmail.com. And that's where you should head over to if you've got any sponsorship or, or collaboration, collaborative inquiries, sorry. And you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Strange and hard name to spell, but hopefully you guys can get it. And Matt, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Um, working on a couple things, of course. I'm still writing, but I'm getting uh, more involved in podcasting. Obviously, guys, as you guys listen to me and Petra talk about it uh, pretty much every week. So uh, <laughs> if you guys are looking for anything I'm doing uh, or anything I'm working on or going to be working on, uh, make sure you guys are following me on Twitter. Everything I uh, and will be working on and any projects I get involved with, I will be updating you guys there. Yeah, and if you guys did really enjoy that, please do subscribe 
do leave a review as well and give us some feedback as matt mentioned we even if you hate us tell us tell us why you hate us and, and we'll try and make it better and yeah those those <laughs> those reviews really really help us out and we love reading them and and all your support on twitter and everywhere else has been phenomenal so thanks so much guys <laughs> <laughs>